As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and with me today to answer all of your many, many questions about Major League Soccer and allow me to just sit quietly while he does so, it's Sam Stachel. <laughs> Sam, thanks for recording with me today. How has the week been? Taylor, thanks for recording with me today. Uh, the week has pleasure, been... Buddy. It's been a week, you know? Here we yeah. are, February. It's the winter doldrums, but we're surviving. MLS is going to have a season. We learned that this week. doesn't feel like it was this week, but we learned that this week. And uh, yeah, here I am. Ready to rock. So let's talk about that for a minute. Not so much like the CBA itself, but about the work you and Paul and others have been doing. How stressful has this offseason been for you compared to a normal one? How much busier have you been? Um, hmm, interesting. I feel like I haven't been that much busier. It's been busier uh-huh. like on certain days, you know. Um, but every off season is pretty active for me just in terms of transfers and coaching changes and all of that stuff. Um, now it's busy of a different nature this time around because of the CBA. Right. And I was like very like one track mind CBA, 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 um, as people who read my articles could probably tell. Um, (laughs) so it was different in that sense. And then of course, you know, there are the, I think three different deadline days that they had, um, where you're, you know, you're on call until midnight or however long and just like, is anything going to happen today that I'm going to need to write about? Um, but no, I mean, other than that, like I can't complain, man, it's, it's busy, but that's that's cool. <laughs> how how much of a learning curve has there been for you? Like, are you already pretty well versed in CBA terminology? Or in order to report on this, did you have to do a decent amount of digging? I ask because yeah. for me, I feel like there's a chance I would have put my like my foot in my mouth a few times and been like, obviously <laughs> it's this, and they would have been like, that's not a thing. I don't know what you're talking about. So for you, how much work was required? Uh, this time around, not too much. You know, this was okay. the third one in a year. So definitely <laughs> felt point. pretty well versed. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's you know, that. <laughs> uh, so like, I mean, to, to walk people through the process, um, you know, the one last February 
like that one was a normal CBA negotiation. So like you learn about a few different things here and there, but it's mostly kind of the big picture issues that most people know about free agency, salary cap, that sort of thing that I already felt pretty comfortable with. Um, and then a few new things that kind of get thrown into the mix that you learn about on the fly. And then in the big learning curve was in the spring with force majeure, right? And those were two words that I had never heard before in my life, I don't think. And now I've probably said them roughly 7 million times since last <laughs> April. Um, so that's that's where a lot of the learning came in was, was in the spring and kind of what was going on there before the MLS is back tournament. And a lot of that carried over uh, to this process this time around. And with these most recent negotiations, how much of a desire do you think there was both from both parties, the owners and the players, to do their best to control the narrative? How much does that factor into your reporting? Like, are you getting lots of different uh, stories from both sides? Like, are they both trying to kind of put their best face out there? Uh, certainly, yeah, they're trying to put their best face out there, which I get it, right? They all have an agenda. I understand that, right? It's my job to kind of sift through that and be like, okay, the side is presenting this case. The side is presenting that case. Where's the actual truth? Right. Um, and that's what I'm trying to sift through and find out. Um, MLS was certainly more proactive, I would say in, in terms of presenting their case. Uh, you know, they were the ones that, that were calling press conferences, um, more often than the MLSPA. Although I guess the MLSPA did kind of start it off even before MLS cup by saying, don't you th even think about invoking force majeure or it'll be bad. Um, so, you know, maybe MLSPA was involved too. <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, I don't know. It's every side has their own take on things and they're going to try and spin things in their own way. Um, and it's just sort of our job to try and, sort through that and say, okay, here's their opinion. Here's what they're trying to present. And here's, does that actually stand up to scrutiny or not? So, yeah. Um, in terms of the sifting and the, in terms of that sifting and sorting though, how often will you hear from a source if they don't love the way you sifted or sorted <laughs> through it? Um, <laughs> well, there were some calls, um, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, uh, and that's fine. You know, like those, that's people doing their job. I used to be, yeah. I used to work PR for a club, as many people probably know. And sometimes you make those calls afterwards and, you know, that's, that's part of the gig, regardless of whether or not you even fully believe it. Um, that's part of the gig is to present the case of your employer, right? Um, and try and message that and spin it the best way you can. Um, and I mean, I think most of the time, like, I think most of the time in, in this negotiation and in general, um, the PR people involved or the people trying to sort of put their spin on things are pretty reasonable. Um, it's not like people are out here making completely outlandish mm -hmm. bonkers claims or issuing statements that are just completely off the rails. Um, as far as I know anyway, <laughs> um, and we can get into a little bit more of that when we talk about numbers later. Um, <laughs> sure. but, but yeah, I mean, I think most people involved are pretty reasonable and most people involved understand that I have a job to do as well. So mm -hmm. it's not like anyone's raising their voice or anything on these phone calls. It's all pretty straightforward and professional and all that. It's not not super exciting, I'm afraid. Uh, well, we have we do have lots of uh, listener questions, uh, most of them coming from Twitter. Uh, but I did have a few more of my own. You and Paul, you and Paul have done a lot with the CBA. You've covered it from a lot of different angles. You've talked about it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't want to rehash too much. I did just want to ask you though, like my feeling 
has sort of been like, they're going to find a way to make this work. Like, I never really yeah. felt like a work stoppage was going to happen. It seemed like neither side could really afford that. Is that the case? Or do you think, I mean, like, I'm assuming the owners could literally afford it if they had to. But to me, it felt like yeah. neither side could really allow that to be the case. So then they're both trying to maneuver to be in the best position to make it seem like they came out of this the best when really they both needed to be on the same footing coming out of it. Yeah, I think the overall take of, you know, this was inevitable and there probably was never going to be a work stoppage, I agree with. Um, I do think the owners sort of wouldn't have hated a short work stoppage. Um, you know, something like two months or something like that, where it's not really affecting the league long-term, long-term, like a, like a year-long lockout would, like we've seen, you know, in the, in the NHL in yeah. the past. Um, you know, if you have a two-month deal, then they're saving some money in those two months and maybe they're getting the players back on their preferred terms anyway. And you can play a higher proportion of games in front of more fans and all of that jazz. So I don't think they would have necessarily hated that. Um, I do think the players, you know, at the end of the day, like when push comes to shove, it's about salaries and bonuses in the short term for them. Um, and that's totally understandable. <laughs> and so I think, you know, while there was some drama along the way, and while sometimes it's easy to get caught up in that drama, and I'm sure I've gotten caught up in it in the past, like when you actually take the step back, it's really just important to view the MLS CBA negotiations kind of through the lens of like, it's really hard for the players to sustain a work stoppage simply because they just don't make enough money, you know? Um, and yeah. they have bills to pay just like you and me, Taylor. Uh, they have rent, they have mortgages. Um, I'm sure they the have, exact same they have families. enormity of bills too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it is like, I guess for some of probably like yeah. the median salary in 2019 was I think 180,000, which, you know, that's doing all right. But I think a quarter of the league made less than 80 K a year, right? Which still is doing okay. But like, if you're making 80 K a year, how long can you really last without a paycheck? Um, you know, so if you're yeah. a single guy, maybe you can stretch that out. But if you're married and you have a couple of kids, that's a totally different story. <laughs> so um, when, when push comes to shove, that sort of dictates everything about MLS CBA negotiations. And that makes the owners feel comfortable kind of playing a strong hand and holding firm and kind of bossing around a little bit and, and holding a lockout thread over overheads to get what they want. Um, and it makes the players kind of more willing to accept the terms, I think is fair to say. Yeah. I think, I think with the, the work stoppage and the players not getting the regular salaries, like wh where, where my brain goes with that, as silly as this might be, is all of the stuff that you, like the players or fans probably like wouldn't think about as being impacted by that. Cause I remember like when I used to work in, in, in kitchens, when I worked in restaurants and then moving to an office job and being like, wait, I'm sorry, we don't get free lunch. Lunch isn't just provided for us. <laughs> and like, and I do think about all that stuff. I'm like those dudes are probably getting, there's no like, family dinner and warm up stuff. Yeah. There's, they're getting like meals before training, meals after training, they're yeah. getting medical care. Like there's a lot of stuff that suddenly stops being free. And I think that's the other thing that probably hits you doubly hard if you're a player so to your point i understand why they have to take this deal i understand how the owners are sort of always in the stronger position i think this question makes sense i hope it does we'll see how it goes that's always a good way to start is like <laughs> with it being like relatively inevitable that like the owners know what they want out of this the players mm -hmm. know they're probably going to have to go along with that but they can get minor concessions along the way do you feel like one side did do a better job of handling a situation that sort of did have a fixed outcome that like, if you know how it's mm -hmm. going to go, do you think one team or one side did a better job of presenting their arguments in such a way that they did 
gain a little bit of leverage or force the other side to concede a little bit of leverage? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, and I think often in CBA negotiations, we tend to frame them after the fact is who won and who lost. And I, I've done that. And, and like we did it in, art, in an article that we wrote after the fact, Paul and I, and I freaking hate that we did that. Um, because it's, I don't think it's like a win-loss thing necessarily. Yeah. Like the owners got more value. I think that's fair to say, right? I think the, the value of those two years on the back end is going to be a lot bigger than the value of like just from a pure monetary standpoint of keeping 100% of the salaries for 2021, which is what the players got. And some of like the, you know, other gains in terms of free agency and that, that sort of stuff. Um, so I think they won from like a monetary standpoint, although we won't know that for sure ever, I guess. Um, but at the same time, it's like about priorities, right? And if I'm the replacement level player in MLS, right? I'm 28 years old or whatever. I'm making the league average salary. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, like I want the league to be better for players in the future. But I'm also trying to take, take care of myself. And right. I'm probably not going to be around as a player in 26 or 27. I want my full money now. And I want as much money as I can get next year and the year after. And that's what I'm concerned about. And that's what the players got. So it's hard to say that they like lost from that standpoint. You know what I mean? Um, so in, yeah. in some ways, I think, you know, both parties kind of got what they wanted. Um, it was a huge concession for the union to give up two years. Like, and, and I think this is where we get back to those notions of sort of inevitability. I think when you talk about the players union, a lot of the guys who are super engaged, who are kind of on the executive board and on the bargaining committees, which are made up of three players from every team. Um, a lot of those guys are more hard line, right? And they're more, no, we don't want to give the extra two years, right? But then you get everyone involved into the process when it comes to a vote, right? And then you have the percentage of hardliners is a lot less, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have more of those replacement level players. Um, and, and even if the guys on the committees and on the exec board, you know, a lot of them are, are, you know, making the average salary, but they, you know, they're like standing their ground on the principles. The guys that aren't, maybe are less concerned about that. There's a lot of international guys in that group, right? Who might not know about any of this. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that that comes back into play. I can't even remember where I was going with this. This answer is all over the place. I apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so, so, okay. All right. I, I found my thread again. Um, so when you talk about like winning and losing, I don't, I don't like putting it in those terms. Also, mm. the player's main concern was maintaining their salaries for 2021, so they say, right? And that was the offer that the league made off the bat, right? So they're, to them, their biggest ask was taken care of before negotiations even started, right? So how yeah. do you say who won a negotiation when the biggest ask is taken care of before you even start? Um, you know, I don't know. A lot of people around the league come at me with the, this idea that, ah, the union always caves and okay, I guess again, that goes back to the leverage thing that we were just talking about. Um, and I think in this case, they actually got some meaningful givebacks. So I don't know, like I, I don't on a personal level, I don't love what the owners did here. Um, but I think overall it's not a terrible, terrible deal for the players. Um, but we'll so, see. Like, did, did this, 
<laughs> I, I hope this doesn't offend. Like, did this need to be this big of a story then? Like, it sounds like basically <laughs> wow. the players got what they wow. wanted with a minor concession. <laughs> like, but, like, do you understand what I mean? That, like, yeah. if, like, the owners know what they want and they know they're going to get it, the players know what they want and they've been offered well, it up front. Yes. Like, to some extent, it just feels like posturing so that you don't get people saying, there, oh, you there guys is a lot of that. jerks. There is okay. a lot of that. But, you know, if there's ever a likelihood of a work stoppage, right? Even if it's remote, if there's even like a one, two, three, four, ten percent chance, right? When we were in the realm of that possibility, for sure, probably higher than that, um, by a decent amount. Then yeah, it is a big story, you know. And they're and they're fighting over the long term direction of the league. Um, so I don't think it's a bad deal for the players in the short term. I think the players do lose in the long term, right? Mm-hmm. But I understand why players who are voting on these things don't care about that so much. Right. Okay. Um, right. So, like, I, I think that's kind of my overall take because the owners gain yeah. a lot in the long term. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's good for the league what they gained. Um, but the players kept their money in the short term, which is really important. Yeah. And so now we're going to have a season and the players will have their money. That's all very exciting. We do have a lot of movement as well. We're going to talk about some of those moves, some of the potential moves. First, I wanted to ask you more inside baseball, inside reporting questions and uh, probably just make you even more uncomfortable than I already have. So let's get to it Uh, in terms (laughs) of when a move is rumored is being discussed. Like, what's the breakdown in terms of calls that you tend to receive? Like if we see Hmm. a story about an MLS player linked with a bunch of European clubs, that story is being oh, reported yeah. according to sources like more often than not, is that the player's agent? Is that the selling club? Is that maybe a buying club trying to get the word out there? Like what, what is the usual order of events? It's very, very rarely if, if ever the buying club. That's what I figured. Yeah. Like they I just want, needed a third thing. Like the the, those rumors tend to drive the price up, right? That's, yeah. that's the idea. Um, and so the buying club doesn't want to do that. They want to keep that on the DL if they can. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's agents or it's the selling club or it's just a random person. Sometimes there isn't an agenda. Like it's sometimes it's not like I saw this guy. Yeah, I mean, never. I don't think I've ever had one like that. But um, sometimes you know, people around the league talk to each other, right? Yeah. And if you have good relationships with certain people, they can be like, "Yo, I heard this from this person," right? And then if you can go confirm that, um, then you can run with it. And maybe it's just a case of that person that initially told you like likes you or is building capital for something for them down the road that may or may not exist at that moment in time. <laughs> right. So that's, that's basically how it works. It's just like relationships. And like, if you scratch my back, then I'll probably scratch yours at one point down the road. I try not to work like that. Really. I try and be fair and objective <laughs> all the yeah. way through. <laughs> um, but you know, that's, that's the idea behind these things a lot of times, but Sometimes you just have good relationships with people and they just tell you stuff because they like you. And it's not really more complicated than that. Do you ever hear from like players directly? Like if they want to get the message out there? Because my assumption would be that they they use those agents, Paul Pogba and Mino Raiola being a good example of that one, to kind of convey <laughs> what they're feeling without having to say it themselves. I do wonder if Pogba is instructing Mino Raiola to do anything or if Mino Raiola like is just doing be, whatever right? the hell Mino Raiola wants know. to do. I feel like that's probably yeah. more likely. <laughs> and he's he's just like, Paul, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's the play there. But, <laughs> you know... Uh, yeah, I mean, you have relationships with players, you have relationships with agents, you have relationships with all kinds of people. Um, I would say I don't really hear from players so often on their own transfers or trades, right? That's not a usual thing. Um, but some people, that that is how they report, you know? So everyone does it differently. Just because I have it have one way, then 
you know, it's not, it doesn't mean it's the only way. Is there an organization in Major League Soccer that is better than others at keeping things tight, at not letting things get out until they're ready for it to be made public? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there are certain teams that you see leaks around all the time. And then there are certain teams where nothing leaks ever, you know? And so, like, I'm trying to think what teams those are. That's, I mean, that, yeah. that's, that information's public, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, because it's all out there. Um, and, and some of it is purely due to level of interest in a team. Some of these teams don't really have reporters that cover them, right? That's kind of a sad reality of MLS. Um, but some of these teams don't have reporters that cover them on a day-to-day or even week-to-week basis. And so if those teams want to keep a tight lid on things, they can. And they can keep things pretty secret if they want to. If they want to be more proactive with their PR, then they can do that too. Um, but, you know, like one comes to be- like one comes to mind immediately is like that would fall into that category is like Colorado, right? They don't get a lot of attention out in Denver. So if they want to keep things quiet, they don't have a problem really doing it. So it's so it's more about coverage than it is like they, I they think have so. A, yeah, people. Clause, I mean, people no people in general like talking. I've mm-hmm. found right. Um, a lot of times they're just waiting for the opportunity and like, all right, who's like the leakiest club in your mind in MLS? I'm putting you on the spot here. Chicago Fire. Chicago Fire. Yeah, they are pretty leaky. That's a good one, right? And so people in general like talking and like, all right, well, like. Paul is based in Chicago. I have history in Chicago, right? They have coverage of that team on a local level, not necessarily day-to-day, but, you know, otherwise, um, that that cover the team in a professional way. So you can you can work with that. Um, I would say I like... I don't like Sam, the podcast host, who knows how to flip questions on me to make me have to answer <laughs> instead of answering them themselves. And, and so, so like, I, I don't this. know, like another team that's like not very leaky and things kind of sneak up, like this one, yeah. like this team sneaks up on me all the time is San Jose, you know? And like, uh, yeah. unless it's like Matias Almeida being linked to some coaching job in Latin America every three weeks, like player rumors there, they fly pretty under the radar, you know? And then they make a signing and you're like, hold up, what? You know, <laughs> like you're kind of confused and you're like, that came out of nowhere. Right. And so it just, it just yeah. totally depends, man. Like the, the whole MLS media ecosystem, it's thin. It's thin. There aren't that many of us. You know, I had people, and I think we're going to have a question on this from a listener, but I had people on Twitter yesterday being like, how come you haven't reported about Kaku? And I'm like, man, like sometimes it's tiring to report on 27 teams news right just like news straight up and then like also report features and like not like this sounds very whiny and i I don't mean it to come across like that like sincerely um because i really enjoy my job and like it's a fun thing that i get to do but like if you think about the nfl for instance right so you got adam schefter at the top of the heap right and he's breaking a ton of news left and right uh and that is basically his job He's not writing feature stories, right? He's just breaking news. And there are levels below him. There are other national reporters. And then you have local reporters, right? They cover every single little detail about all 32 teams in the NFL, right? So something like the Kaku story would never, ever get missed, right? It would be covered to death in that league. Whereas in MLS, right, where there are just like a few of us on a national level and not very many like day-to-day local reporters that are doing it for an actual wage, right? And like, God bless everybody who's doing it out there hustling for SB Nation sites and different blogs and doing this for essentially free. I used to be there 
it sucks. <laughs> it's a labor of love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so like shouts to out to all those people, but they're limited in what they can do because it's a, it's yeah. a hobby, you know? So things fall through the cracks. Um, and I don't even remember what question you asked, but I am all over the place again, <laughs> but like, well, let's, let's, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. But like, it, I think it's important to sort of state those things that like, I feel bad when I get those tweets about Kaku and I made some calls about it this morning because it, it was just honestly one that I sort of forgot about. And that's not great, right? Um, from my professional perspective, but it's what happened. And like in a league that's covered more thoroughly and with more people covering it, that stuff wouldn't happen. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, so would it make you feel any better to know that I completely missed the Kaku thing? And so we started getting questions about it and now we're going to talk about it. Does that yeah, make you feel better? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we do have a question from, uh, Jeff underscore nine one seven who says, Sam, why do you hate talking about Kaku? That is not his question. His question <laughs> is how big of a disaster would it be to MLS if the Kaku transfer saga actually went to court and the player options in most MLS contracts were found to be invalid? This isn't the first time MLS has faced this issue, but it's never been pushed. Uh, Before we get to that question, can you give folks who also missed it a little bit of background about what is going on with Kaku and the Red Bulls? Yeah, so Kaku is currently in Saudi Arabia. He's with a club over there. Um, Yeah, it is a problem. He's been training. He's apparently agreed to terms, signed a deal, all that jazz. Uh, He might even play in a game tomorrow. And his contention, and his agent's contention, is that he's a free agent. Um, because they are claiming that the Red Bulls did not inform them in time that they had picked up his option, the option that they had on his contract for 2021. The Red Bulls are claiming otherwise, uh, that they did inform him in time, that everything's above board, and that he is their player. Um, This sort of thing has happened before in MLS with player options, and that's what kind of the the question was getting at. We saw it with Kyle Lahren, saw it with Fabian Castillo, we saw it with Camilo Sanvezzo way back in the day. Um, players who had option years that basically they did not recognize. They said, no, that's not valid. I am a free agent. I'm going to sign with Besiktas or Trabzonspor. Oh, I butchered that, I'm sure. Or Karetaro in those, in those three cases. Yeah. Um, in all three of those cases, deals got worked out. The clubs ended up getting paid by the Mexican or Turkish clubs that were involved. Um, transfer fees to, to get the player. Kaku case. Um, but, you know, I was talking to somebody this morning about it and they were telling me that the Red Bulls feel that they have a solid case here, that they informed Kaku uh, that they were picking up his option in the proper manner and that the contract is valid and that 
you know, if this needs to escalate to FIFA or the Court of Arbitration for Sport or whoever, um, that they'll win the case. Um, and maybe it's a situation where they work out a transfer fee with the Saudi club, right? And we don't go that far. If I had to guess, and this is not from anything anyone's told me, um, this is just me kind of speculating. If I had to guess, I would say that's the outcome here. Um, because it's not like Kaku's going to come back to the rebels after this, right? <laughs> I think that ship has sailed. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of how big of a disaster would it be? Um, it would be bad for MLS if the player options became invalid. I don't know how likely that is. Um, maybe that's a, that's a topic I can explore here coming up. Um, if, but if you don't feel comfortable speculating, that's fine. But like, to me, this seems like it would be pretty cut and dry. Like, if they have it in a contract, you have to notify him you're exercising the option by a certain date. And they did that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of all she wrote. So, is the issue more right. so that, like, do you feel like it's Kaku just saying, like, yeah, I don't really want that year. <laughs> like, I don't want to play here anymore. I shouldn't have yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, so that's, no, that's absolutely what it is. And, okay. I, like, Kaku's entire story in New York from his arrival, which was a mess, right? To his yeah. various, like, links to Club America and Tijuana this winter. Um, apparently the Tijuana deal fell through because of some shenanigans. I, I'm not really sure. Um, but there was something, apparently that look, was looking good to get done. And then it kind of fell apart because of some, something that happened on with his agents from what I'm told. So there's all sorts of drama going around <laughs> with Kaku. And I think that will probably continue until whenever this gets resolved. But yeah, this is absolutely him just wanting to either go get paid and secure his future, which more power to him. Um, but, you know, he also has a contract that is recognized by MLS and is recognized by pretty much every other player in MLS history. Um, so I think he'll have a difficult time getting out of it. Um, I'm not a lawyer. If this goes to court, yeah. I'm sure it'll be a drawn be out. Calling you in? It'll be a okay. drawn out thing. Um, but it will be interesting to see how it works. Um, that's for sure. Because it could change how MLS contracts work down the road. Will it be a disaster? Um, I don't know. Like they can still do contracts. They just don't include options, unilateral options. Um, I don't think that will sink MLS or anything like that. Um, But it would be, it'd be very interesting for sure. Is that, but that type of contract clause, that's not unique to major league soccer, is it? Honestly, I don't know enough. I think in the, in the world of soccer, I think it is Mm -hmm. kind of unique Um, in the world of American sports. It's not. So it's, so the is it the unilateral option that makes it unique? Because right. I feel like like Man United for forever were signing Ryan Giggs on a one year option, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the unilateral okay, part of it, where it's you okay. know, and and you can get into legal terminology, right? How unilateral is it if the player agreed to make it unilateral when yeah. they first signed the contract, right? Um, so you know, but yeah, I think that's that's the part that that makes it a little unique here. And again, I need to huh. go and actually research this a little bit more now. So thank you, F nine one seven for prompting me to, uh, to, to think. I'm sure Jeff uh, says you're welcome. Uh, we have more more player movement questions. Let's get to Ashton Johnson. Does Frankie Amaya have any leverage following his trade request, or will Cincinnati just keep him and hope their new signing? The signings convince him to stay. Uh, again, can you give us a little bit of background about the situation with Amaya at Cincinnati, and then answer the question? Yeah, so myself and Paul Tenorio and Jeff Reuter reported last week, I think, that Cincinnati had turned down some serious trade offers for Amaya. Um, deals that would have been $1 million or in the neighborhood of $1 million in allocation money um, spread over a couple of years. Uh, Amaya then talked to Paul or via his agent, 
where he went public with a trade request. Uh, he doesn't want to stay in Cincinnati. So that's, that's the background here. Um, does he have any leverage? I guess that depends. Is he willing to not play? Is he willing to just sit out? Right? Is he going to go full James Harden here? I don't know. Um, if he lines up and says, you know what? Like, I have a contract. I'll honor it. I'll play, but I don't want to be here. Then Cincinnati can ride it out, right? Um, but if he if he's like, you know what? No, I'm going to like go do whatever I want and not work out in the off season and show up the, and the Gareth Bale, if you will. Yeah, you know, we've seen this. We see this in Europe. We see it in other leagues in in the United States. Um, so if he does that, then it's probably a decently effective way to force his way out. But it all depends on the mood with Cincy and, and how far Amaya is willing to take this. Um, so we'll see. Uh, the fact that Cincinnati turned down those substantial offers already, uh, they're probably wishing they took him at this point because it might be hard to get that kind of haul for him now that he's you know publicly declaring that yeah. he wants a trade. The Amaya issue aside, what do you make of Cincinnati's offseason? Because Man, it's been uh, exciting. Yes, yeah. love it. Um, I mean, <laughs> people, you know, people have been texting me and calling me being like, they overpaid for this guy by five, six million. And I'm like, that's cool to say. Um, and maybe they did, right? But we don't know how those negotiations went, right? None of us do, um, except for Gerard Nijkamp. and This guy, I'm speaking of Brenner, who they paid $13 million for, reportedly, from Sao Paulo. 21-year-old Brazilian forward. He's scored a bunch of goals over the last six months. Uh, down there in Brazil, um, was, you know, he, according to different outlets in Europe, which, you know, take all of these with a grain and salt, he was linked to, I think, Juventus and Milan and Roma and, you know, all these big name clubs. And he ends up with FC Cincinnati for a massive, massive fee. So some people say they overpaid for the guy. Um, other people say this is a pretty serious signing. I'm shocked he went to MLS because he's like a legit player with, with real European aspirations. Um, I, my biggest question is what is Cincinnati going to do to onboard him? Right. Because it seems like he's a talented kid, right? He's scored a bunch of goals. Uh, he has a good record, (laughs) um, you know, regardless of whether or not you overpaid for him, but he needs service. And, the current crop of FC Cincinnati attackers are not very good. They scored 12 goals last year, Taylor, in 23 games. It's, it's not good. <laughs> it's not, it's not good. great. <laughs> um, and now they're talking about getting Lucho Acosta now. Um, they're trying to swing a deal for him. So that would presumably help, but it's not like his final year in MLS was all that great either. Um, so how are they going to bring him on? What are the support systems going to be like? How are they going to manage his transition off the field? right? Like you're moving from Sao Paulo, one of the biggest cities in the Western hemisphere, right? And Brazilian culture and everything, it's home for him. And you're moving to Cincinnati. That's a serious culture shock, right? I don't know how many people they have on staff or on the roster that speak Portuguese. I don't think it's very many. I often many. call Cincinnati the Rio of Central Ohio. Yeah, right. So maybe that's just me. I don't know. Well, Southern Ohio, Taylor, get your geography oh, straight. God, I I'm going to hear from Ohio people. I apologize. <laughs> so there are a lot of aspects to this move that if they want it to succeed, they need to take care of from infrastructure um, off the field to who's playing with him on the field. And those are still up in the air, right? So they, they have a lot of work to do to, to make this right. And I imagine like his desire to move to Europe has not gone away, right? So how active are his agents going to be in pitching him to clubs overseas? Like starting today, starting two days ago. 
right? Is that still going on? So there's a lot of elements of play here that make this a gamble. Um, but it could be great, right? He could come in. He could be like the best player we've ever seen in the league. I don't know. Um, but it is a gamble. It's Gerard Nykamp and, and Yopstam really sticking their necks out there. But it's ambitious, man. And this is what I want MLS teams to do. Like they went out there and they're like, you know what? We really believe in this guy and we're willing to pay the third largest fee in league history, the 12th largest fee in the world so far this year, Taylor, to go what? get him. Yeah. 12th Pardon? largest in the world. This is, I wrote a story about this, which you clearly have not read. So no, I, no. I'm offended. Um, oh, but don't worry, I have it open. Brent, uh, <laughs> what FC Cincinnati's Brenner deal means for MLS now? Yeah, in the so future. it's the 12th largest in the world. In the last five years, there have only been 21 fees, 21 transfers out of Brazil for more than 13 million. 19 of those deals were to clubs who were competing in the Champions League or Europa League that season. I think the other two were to Lille and Watford. Um, Watford, the deal was for Richarlison. So that one worked out okay, right? Um, So that's the company that FC Cincinnati is in right now. Like 14 of those 21 players in those 21 deals either have gone on or had already received a cap with Brazil's senior team. So this is like Whoa. just just for a little, you know, perspective. This is wild. <laughs> right? Like this kind of money. Like it's FC Cincinnati like they're in the same boat as like AC Milan with some of these moves. Like what? Excuse me? The worst team in MLS over the last 2 years? Like it's crazy. And it's really it putting themselves out on a limb. It's really ambitious, but if you look at the history of the top uh, I guess the four yeah. he's the third biggest in MLS history. If you look at the fi- of the of the new top 5, so the first, second, fourth and fifth uh transfer fees in MLS history, it's not a good history. It's PT Martinez, it's Barco, it's Brian Rodriguez and I'm blanking on the fifth one, but at any rate, all four of them have under underperformed or are underperforming um relative to expectations. So I don't know. I'm into it. I'm into yeah. the push, but do I know if it's going to work? Um, I think they have a lot of work left to do to to make this succeed. So we'll see. Because even with that list of Brazilians who have gone to Champions League or Watford clubs, uh, like even <laughs> part of the reason why I was like Chuck Leg is because you, for every like you've got Gabriel Jesus in there, yeah. you've got like some of those big names, and then there's also like Gabriel Barbosa yeah. going to Inter Milan. So even then. You never really have the guarantees. Here, I think, here's how I think you guarantee uh, making him happy. I hear he's a big breakfast for dinner guy. Uh, oh. So let's, uh, let's make that oh happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome for that one. Just try to carry on the legacy of terrible puns. I love uh, that. Let's move, to, let's move to a different topic. Um, from Hockey Contrarian, if Toronto FC wanted to get out of Josie's contract, what options would they have in this CBA? Hockey Contrarian. That's a ter- terrific name. Um, what does that even mean, by the way? Hockey contra- is, is he like a hockey fan that like is a contrarian for all things hockey? Or is he just like someone that's like, hockey, no, no. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like to think it's like he disagrees with the fundamental aspect. Like, shouldn't be on ice. Don't like it. Should be on water. <laughs> the only natural um, way to play this game. So to the question, uh, I don't think they would have any options that they didn't have before. Every team in MLS is allowed to buy out a contract in the offseason um, at no penalty to the salary cap. Uh, I, without seeing the language, I would assume that that still exists. Um, I don't think they have any other options beyond that. You know, any team can buy them out buy a player out whenever they want. If they do it during the season, it comes at the cost to the salary cap. Um, 
so yeah, I don't think anything changes on that regard. Uh, I thought that the reported interest in Josie uh, a few weeks ago now, I thought that was weird um, simply because of his age and his salary. Uh, he makes a lot of money. And I was like, who's going to buy him and pay him that money? You know, I assume, I think he likes life in Toronto from all indications. Um, and it's not, uh, not that he's a bad player, far from it. He's a very good player. Uh, but who's going to pay the several million dollars a year that he makes to, to maintain his salary and get him to agree to a move? I, I don't know that a club like that really exists outside of maybe like the Middle East or, or Asia, perhaps. All right. So we, we think Josie is is staying with Toronto. Uh, staying in Canada, Dr. Manuel Vait, who's uh, been on the show many times. I feel like this is a tongue-in-cheek question. Uh, what do you guys make of that potential multi-million dollar player coming to Vancouver asking for a friend, says Manuel? I assume we're referring to Otavio from Porto here. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really sound like that's happening from from what I've read. It sounds like he's not interested in that move. Um, you know, Vancouver has the advantage now of the European transfer windows are closed and the MLS one is technically not even open yet. <laughs> so, so if Porto, if they can convince Otavio to come to Vancouver, then they're one of the few players in the market before he becomes a free agent in the summertime. Um, but if they cannot convince him, then, you know, it's a little bit of a non-starter reports in Portugal basically said he wasn't interested in coming to MLS uh, I don't have any special insight into the situation. Um, if they get him, that would be pretty cool. Uh, he's highly sought after and he's done really well. Um, but, you know, Vancouver is splashing a little cash here. Uh, that's a club that historically hasn't spent much. Um, and it has been pretty bad here for a few years. Um, but they're they're trying a little bit, um, which is interesting. You know, all of these clubs spending money now, it's interesting in the context of the CBA discussions. But, hey. Hello, wonderful listeners. This is Taylor. We'll be back for more Sam Stasekel in just a moment. But first, a word from today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So we're not sure about Otavio. What about with Bobby Wood? Hangry, hangry hippo, another terrific name. Will Bobby Wood be joining <laughs> Ross Salt Lake? I thought you were calling Bobby Wood a hangry, hangry hippo for a second. I mean, you never know. I don't know if he's eaten recently. I don't know what the situation is there. <sighs> yeah. Uh, but uh, that aside, yeah, what is the latest with Bobby Wood as far yeah, as... Yeah, so he's agreed to a deal with RSL. Uh, it's just All a question right. of timing. Um, and basically... From what I was told back when I reported this a few weeks ago or a month ago, whenever I reported it, was that he was waiting on there to be clarity for when the MLS season would start. Um, he's making a lot of money over in Germany right now. And so if MLS was going to have a lockout or it wasn't going to start until June, you know, then he was going to run his contract out over there in Germany and then just come to MLS after it ended. If there was clarity 
and which we now have the season will be starting on April 17th, then he would go to go to the club and say, Hey, let me out. And then go join RSL in time for the start of the season. So I need to follow up on that one and see exactly where things stand. That was the plan. Um, his club would, I think, have no problem letting him out of his contract and, and stop it so that they don't have to pay him anymore. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't think that that will be a huge issue. So if things go according to the plan that was outlined to me a few weeks ago, then he should be with RSL at the start of the season. But I'll follow up on that and hopefully have an update pretty soon. All right. Another RSL question from Joseph Eddington uh, asks, any news on the RSL sale? Joseph concludes, love the show. Keep up the good work. I'm assuming that's specifically for the Total Soccer Show and not Allocation Disorder. Yeah. Why would anyone like that show? Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I love Allocation Disorder. It genuinely is a fun thing to edit, not just because you all make random uh, production requests, but I like... (laughs) I don't know, like you and Paul, you and Paul are like, are clearly friends. And sometimes no, that friendship that is like, <laughs> the thing is like, I know that's, you say that in jest, but I also know from having worked with like Daryl so closely, there are moments when I'm sure you guys are like, oh, all right, let's record this thing. Like what? Like, I, <laughs> well, we usually recorded at like 11 PM on Thursdays. Yeah, right. So like most of the time it's like, oh my God, I just want to go to bed. <laughs> um, but yes, Paul and I are friends. Breaking news. Um, although he probably well, wants to strangle me at times, probably more than the inverse <laughs> of that. But hey, you know, I host this show. I do the heavy lifting. He can't complain. Um, can, 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 I, can I tell you one of my like, like my enduring Paul memories for a moment? Yeah, please. When we were in Chicago for the convention slash draft a couple years ago, mm-hmm. I somehow managed to get like like very, very ill every time there's a convention, which is always great and Ill. is never a sure. thing that now I look back on as like, what is wrong with me? Why would I ever be in public? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was... We did like an event with the Cooligans at a bar in Chicago and I like couldn't even talk mm. anymore. Like I was like my sore throat was that bad and I was going to say goodbye to people, including uh, Alexi was there. Paul was there. And I, when I went to wow. say goodbye, they were both can like, I just, with several. Can you just hold on for a second while I pick up those names you just dropped? Well, this is part of the story. It's not meant to be a name <laughs> drop. I also can't. It's the first time I think I've called him Alexi. I always end up calling him Lalas. And then people look at me and they're like, oh, you mean Alexi. So I'm yeah. just rolling. You guys are on but, last name terms. Yeah, that's how we roll. Uh, but the two of them with several empty glasses in front of them were just very like, like having a forget. It was a very what you would expect, like animated conversation about like nuanced, just like the dumbest, very crap. specific yeah. details that nobody could care about. But the two of them mm-hmm. and and Alexi was very sweet, like, oh, yeah, man, I hope you feel better. And Paul just looked at me and was like, yeah, uh-huh. anyway, like back to like, it was just such a like it was Paul locked off. in like, my favorite thing of like, there's no deterring. <laughs> he, he will this argument about i don't know what minimum salary should be for homegrown territories perhaps yeah yeah yeah. exactly yeah uh sorry i've taken us off on on a tangent Uh, (laughs) let's get back to joseph's question any news on the rsl sale uh no not really um (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean like i don't know it's been a long week Uh, ryan smith was interested he like he might still be interested he's the jazz owner and a billionaire founder of Qualtrics, who happens to be from Utah. Um, so maybe it ends up going that direction. This is a real story, though, for MLS here over the next year. Um, not just RSL, but Houston and Orlando and maybe some other clubs, potentially. Maybe I'll have more news on that later. Um, are all up for sale. Uh, they all have these valuations, right? And it's like 400, 500 million uh, from what Forbes values them at. And from what I'm told, the owners are looking for. 
And I think partly because of the pandemic, MLS is going to have a hard time get hitting those valuations for these teams anytime soon. Uh, and I think that's, like I said, partly because of the pandemic and the economic effects of that. But I think it's partly because if you look at the fundamentals of MLS, like how do you arrive at that sort of valuation? I don't know. This is like the next big story I want to do is like answer that question. <laughs> um, like how do they arrive at those valuations? Because like when you look at the number of fans and the number of people that watch this league um, and the financial statements and the P&L and all of that, like you're just selling purely potential. Like that's it. Um, and there's some real estate involved too, of course. That's part of those valuations, no doubt. Um, but I'm curious what, what the answer to that question is. I don't have it right now. Uh, but that's something that I'm really curious about. And I'm really, just really interested to see how it progresses over the course of the next few months to year to beyond. Uh, I think connecting to that idea is one from uh, Jay Odom eight on Twitter. How do you think COVID-19 will impact future expansion? Is the league going to be more or less interested in expansion? Um, I mean, I don't think it's going to affect the league's interest, right? Maybe it'll affect the interest of potential owners that want to buy in, right? Cause it ain't cheap. We know that. Um, but the league's plan is to get to 30 teams. Well, I shouldn't say that the league is at 30 teams. I think the league will get to 32 eventually. Um, and when that happens, I don't know. I think they're going to take a little bit of a breather here, um, because of COVID, but I think they were going to take it before COVID as well. So, but I think, you know, around 2026, maybe before they get to 32, um, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But yeah, I don't think it affects the league's appetite for expansion, but it might affect, you know, the potential buy-in. So yeah, I think we'll ride out COVID, put that in the rear view mirror, and then those talks will probably start to heat up at some point. And then to the questions of, uh, like, selling selling teams or like the interest in it i'm going to assume a lot of that relates to the financial stability of the league which leads to a question from mft uh garber said in his uh press conference this week uh it was simple math they lost one billion (laughs) dollars i'm excited Uh, for you to read all of the numbers in this next sentence (laughs) all right i'll do i'll do it uh mft's (laughs) simple math is this uh income from adidas sponsorship is a hundred million dollars tv would be 90 million dollars game day revenue about 50 million dollars expenses would be salary of 350 million so a net loss of 110 million is the calculations from MFT where does the other 890 million come from how could they possibly lose that much yeah um good question uh unfortunately i don't have an awesome answer this will shock you MFT but MLS doesn't show me their books so i can't validate those claims um, however, there are a lot of other costs that were missed in that little back of the envelope calculation, right? So MLS is back tournament, renting out a resort in Orlando, um, getting, you know, the wide world of sports, paying for all those production or helping all those production costs. I don't know how much ESPN footed from that bill. I don't know how much MLS contributed, um, but it was expensive all the same. All those COVID tests that the league had last year, expensive. Every flight for the team's in between games last year, charter flights, that's expensive. Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver essentially lived in hotels for two plus months at the end of the season. That's expensive, right? Um, you know, none of this accounting from MFT uh, accounted for just like regular costs of like paying the rent or the mortgage on the stadium, um, paying front office employees, 
Um, all of those things add up, right? Is it a billion dollars? I don't know. Um, that's that's from the league office that, and that's from all the clubs is what they say. So, um, you know, I don't know. That's what the league says. I guess we can take them at their word or we can't. That's up to you. Um, but there are there were a lot of COVID-19 induced expenses last year um, and there wasn't much revenue coming in, uh, you know, certainly very minimal from game day. Right. And tickets sold and all that stuff. Um, and, and there will be continue to be financial effects this coming season as well um, in that regard and other regards, too. So uh, is it a billion? I have no idea. Um, but, you know, it's the potential for it is probably there. It's roughly 40 million per club. Right, if you want to break it down, so it's possible. All right, uh, a couple more like team specific ones for you, John Mark ninety three. Let's say Jordan Morris does really well, and the Sounders agree to sell him. Would you expect Seattle to still be a top three team in the West this year? Oh man, I mean, I don't know. Like, have you seen MLS? Like, <laughs> predicting top three and top five and play- even playoffs is folly. Um, I'm looking at the standings from last year. Seattle finished tied for first in the West. They, they were the second seed based on a tiebreaker with, behind Kansas City. Um, hmm, would I expect them to be top three in the West? If they don't replace Jordan Morris, uh, no, I would not expect them to be top three. Um, does that mean anything? No. It doesn't. Uh, it's just my stupid expectation. But I would say LAFC, Kansas City again, and probably Portland would be favored to finish ahead of them without Jordan Morris. Which team then do you think, like on paper at the very least, do you think has put themselves in the best position for the start of the season? Is it Cincinnati with some of the moves they've made? No. Is it just one of the Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking That team... <sighs> Taylor... <laughs> They've had four head coaches. They've had in their MLS history. They've had four different head coaches. One of whom has been head coach twice. Yohan Dame, interim head coach, twice. Just to make so, Cincinnati so like they've had five yeah. different tenures of head coaching. Have, have head coaches. You know how many wins they've had in MLS? I'm assuming many, many, many. Ten. They've had half <laughs> the number of head coaching tenures. So they've had wins in two years. Like. Yeah, they've made some interesting signings and they're going for it, but they still have a long way to go. Um, what team has had... I mean, it's hard to say. I like that that made you, it seems, physically angry. It did. It's because it did. Um, I mean, Columbus made some good moves. They won MLS Cup yeah. and they got better. Like, that. that's pretty good. I guess that's a good starting point, right? Um, they got Kevin Molino, Vito Vormgur which is a crazy name, by the way. Um, he's He should be coming back at some point from from the injury that he had, the big knee injury that he had last year. He was supposed to be one of their starting center backs. Um, so they got better. Um, I, it's weird to say that MLS Cup champs are, are kind of my answer on that front, but they might be. Um, I think there are still a decent amount of moves left to be made, by the way, around the league, particularly higher-end ones. So very much a TBD on that question. All right. Well, while we're talking about like potential and what could happen in the future, final question, I think, from David Beffert. Uh, if an MLS team were to embrace and maximize the young money option as a key part of their identity, yeah, uh, yeah. we can insert young money. Young Mula, here, baby. Not. <laughs> uh, how might that look in practice and which team could you see doing it? You want me to break some news on the show? Should I do that? Let's do it. All right. Yes. It might not be. I might break it on Twitter before it gets released. We'll see. But um, I was told today... Oh, yeah. 
that yeah. y- the young money actually applies will uh, will be eligible to be used on homegrowns and draftees, um, not just international signings. Now you might say, why would you use that mechanism on homegrowns or draftees when most of the benefit from that mechanism is in acquisition costs? And I would say that that's a good question. Um, but certain teams aren't going to want to pay big transfer fees, and when you're thinking yeah. about second contracts for those homegrowns or those draft picks. Um, that allows you to pay them more money and keep them at a cap hit of 150 to 200,000, depending on the particular player in question. In terms of teams that are going to use this, I mean, I think it's like, for the most part, the big teams, um, right? Atlanta, LAFC, like clubs that have already kind of dipped into the space where they're signing guys like Brian Rodriguez or Diego Rossi or Ezekiel Barco for millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? And then bringing them into town. I think those clubs will lean into that even harder. It'll be interesting to see how they sort of finagle things to keep those guys under the maximum salary, which is kind of one of the requirements to use the young money. Maybe you'll, you know, see some under the table deals where that guy gets a nice cut of the transfer fee um, to make up for the lower salary. Um, But, you know, I'm not making any accusations there. Um, But I think it'll be those teams that, that use it a lot. Um, And, I think it it could be really beneficial from the sense that, okay, if you're using a designated player spot on a guy who's 18 and has had a good run of games and is a big time prospect, that's great. But there's uncertainty around that. And Barco is a great example of this, right? He hasn't panned out for Atlanta. So using a DP spot on him, that's costly, right? That's, there's a big opportunity cost there of, of going out and getting a more proven player to put in that spot, right? So if you can instead get the proven guys and use them as your DP spots and then make the more speculative plays and use them as the under 22, well, then the opportunity costs, the risk, it's it's less. Um, so I think it's really important in that regard. And I think the teams that will get the most out of it will probably be the big ones, um, or it should be anyway, if they use it right. Um, now, that said, other teams will use it too. Um, I would expect... I'm trying to think uh, like teams that don't have great academies, maybe to get involved in this to a pretty significant degree. Um, maybe a team like Minnesota, right? They're not going to be blocking off any home grounds. So maybe this is a way that they can, they can try and make some money in the transfer market it could help them. Um, so, yeah, but I, I mean, I just go to LAFC in Atlanta right away. No, that works. And NYCFC I've- too. By the way, they and and Red Bull for that matter, those two with their global networks should be able to take advantage of this in a way that a lot of teams can't. And then make sure you put in the uh, mandatory one year option, the unilateral option, and we just make it a like a self sustaining yeah, cycle. That's of right. To talk about that's it's right. Perfect. Never ends. All right. Well, and. Until they do that, since it never ends, I'm sure we'll have Sam back on. But for now, Sam, I appreciate you being very generous with your time. I know it's been a, a long couple of weeks, so I want I want you to, to get your rest. I don't want to have to make you podcast too much, but I do appreciate you. I was just getting started, man. Let's do another hour. <laughs> I mean, we can. I'll ask you more uh, ill-informed questions and more bad puns if you want. I mean, if you want. Like, don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> I will not then. I will just say, uh, Sam Stasel, thank you so much for taking the time today. I I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I think we rocked this podcast very well. I do too. Listeners, thank you very much for listening. uh, And we will talk to you again very soon.